Well, it's been so good to be with you today to have fellowship in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't Christian fellowship marvellous? It's nothing like it in all the earth. In whatever club you go, whatever society, there's nothing like Christian fellowship with brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's great. It was the old Negro spiritual song that said, This world is not my home. I'm just a passer through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And isn't that so true for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? This world is certainly not our home, neither do we want it to be, but heaven is our home. And so the objective and aim of this evening's message and ministry is that we will look beyond the circumstances of this life and that we will be looking and longing for glory. There'll be longing to be with Jesus Christ forever, yearning to be in the place where Christ is, to do what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, to set our mind or affections on things above and not on things of this earth. And we're going to be looking at a character that certainly was heavenly minded. His name was Abraham. And we're looking at two verses from our Bibles this evening from that reading that was helpfully read to us, Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 9 and 10. Talking of Abraham, it says this, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And as we look at those two verses... And as we look at Abraham's looking and longing for faith, and as we think about believers heading for heaven, we do so with three headings. First of all, we're going to notice, think about a foreign country. That's the first point. Think about a foreign country. And then in the second place, we need to think about a beneficiary. A beneficiary. And then thirdly, we're going to think about the city. Think about the city. So first of all, then notice that we have think about a foreign country. Think about a foreign country. Isn't Hebrews 11 marvelous? It's a lovely passage in the word of God, isn't it? And it talks about the roll call of the faith as it's been described. Characters in the Old Testament that exercised great feats. And they did it by faith. It's the hall of fame of the faithful. I'm told that in number 10 Downing Street, not that I've ever frequented that place, but that up the stairs are photographs, pictures of prime ministers of yesteryear and current prime minister. And it's, you go through the corridor of time and see those prime ministers. And Hebrews 11 is like looking at these galleries, these art galleries of people who exercised faith, who had great feats of faith. And Abraham is given a lion's share of mention in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's only right, isn't it? Because he's a case in point. Abraham was a man of tremendous faith. He exercised great faith in the things he believed and in the ways that he went. Incredible faith that he had. Did you know that Abraham didn't come from a godly family? 
Joshua, later on in Israel's history, long after Abraham had gone to the glory that he looked for, explained in Joshua's farewell speech about how he had come from a pagan family that worshipped idols. Abraham wasn't from a spiritual family, but yet God, out of his grace, his undeserved favour, chose Abraham, told him to get out of his country, his native place, and to go out. Where was he to go after leaving his wider family? He was to go to a place where the Lord would show him. And so he went out not knowing where he was going. Not knowing where he was going. God would show Abraham the way. That meant he had to have faith in God. He had to let God take over the steering wheel of his life. Have you let God take over the steering wheel of your life as it were? Is God driving your life. Abraham was real in his faith in God. He took God at his word, which is really faith, isn't it? We're told of the definition of faith in verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, being persuaded that what God has said is true and to take God at his word. And Abraham certainly did that. He left the comforts of his wider family. He left his home environment, a pagan environment, Ur of the Chaldeans, and he went to live a nomadic life, to live where God would show him. And that place where he pitched his tent in the land of Canaan would be the place that later the children of Israel would inherit. He was surrounded by pagans in Canaan when he came to know the true and living God for himself. Abraham came to put his faith in God. And that faith was not vague. It was not nebulous. It wasn't just a faith that was out there somewhere in some God that is out there somewhere. We're told by the Lord Jesus, he rejoiced to see my day. Abraham trusted in Christ. How were these Old Testament saints saved? Answer, in the same way as you and I, by faith in Christ. They looked ahead to the cross, and we look back now at the cross, but we are saved in the same way. There are not two ways of salvation, an Old Testament way and a New Testament way. There is only one way of salvation, and it's through the cross, and it's cross-shaped, and Abraham went through the same blood as you and I do, and we praise the Lord for it. There only ever has been, there only ever is, and there only ever will be one gospel through the cross, and we put faith, the same type of faith as Abraham had, in the same person as Abraham had, in the Lord Jesus Christ. This wonderful, streamlined faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Abraham had been given this promise of a land, the promised land, we call it. And the Lord confirmed and put more pieces in the jigsaw, if you like, of the promise that he had given to him in seed form. And Abraham obeyed that particular promise of the foreign land, this promised country. And Abraham would never see the fulfillment of that promise in his lifetime. He'd never see it. It would be through Joshua when they would finally go over the river Jordan. Many things would happen after Abraham's life. The Lord gives a little insight, doesn't he? When Abraham has that dream about how they'll go into, into Egypt. But Abraham never saw the fulfillment of the promise. 
And it may be that during our lifetimes, we never see on earth the fulfillment of some of the promises that the Lord has made. But the Lord doesn't operate on the same timetable as you and I. He doesn't wear the same watch. And we live in a society that wants everything now. Instant coffee. Instant this. And that's not necessarily wrong, by the way. But that can seep in to our spiritual perspectives, can't we? We want everything now. And if the Lord doesn't somehow fulfill those promises that we want him to fulfill, when we want him to fulfill it, then somehow we get discouraged, don't we? And we get despondent. But delays are not denials from our God. And he's not in a hurry as we so often are in a hurry, is he? And just because there's a time lapse and just because circumstances happen to us, it does not mean to say that God has reneged on his promise. Far, far from it. We haven't seen the Lord Jesus return. But has he reneged on that promise that the Lord Jesus gave while he was here on earth, that he would come back again and that we'd see the Son of Man in great glory? No. You haven't seen he hasn't reneged on his promises. And so when we don't see what we think God should do, when we think God should do it, does not mean to say that God is not faithful. He is faithful. And Abraham here is such a shining example, is he not, of a person who actually put faith in the Lord even though he would not see it. We're told later about these Old Testament saints that they didn't see the promise, but they looked at it afar off and they were assured of it. They embraced those promises. That's faith. We can't see it, but we still believe it. Have you ever seen heaven? I haven't, but I'm going there because of the Lord Jesus. Are you? Can't see it, but doesn't mean to say it's not there. I can't see my brain, but I hope it's there. Just because we can't see something doesn't mean to say it's not there, does it? Of course, it's awful logic, isn't it? We can't see God, but we believe he's there. We have faith in God, in the invisible God, and we have faith in the things of God. And Abraham here put faith in God. When people would say, well, where are you moving to? When he moved out of the area of the Chaldeans, he'd have to say, well, I don't know. But the Lord knows And I'm going to trust in him. We do not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, exercise faith that God knows what he's doing. And he gives us what he gives us, when he gives us, and he's always faithful. And he never misses the mark. He never moves the goalpost. He never reneges on his promises. And the Lord has promised glory, and he will give all those who trust Christ glory. So here is Abraham. The promise is given to him. And it's interesting when we track the promises in those chapters of Genesis from chapter 12 onwards, how interesting it is to know that what is Abraham's response so often to those promises? Is it not worship? He builds an altar. God promises him the land. He builds an altar. He worships. There's problems. He goes down to Egypt when he shouldn't have gone down to Egypt. And he comes back to the place where he was at the beginning. And what does he do? He builds an altar. And then when he has the strife with his herdsman and Lot's herdsman, his nephew, and Lot 
does wrong. He walks by sight. He should have given Abraham the choice in the first place because he was the elder person. And when Abraham walks by faith and God reaffirms that promise of that land, what's Abraham's response? It's one of worship. And whenever we see the promises of God unfolded for us in Scripture, what should be our response? Should it not be the same? Worship. Should we not be praising the Lord? We do not use an altar, of course. We're in New Covenant days. The Lord Jesus has come and he's died and he's risen again and he's in heaven and we're more in simple times these days. But nonetheless, the principle is true, isn't it? We worship the Lord. When we see his promises, have we ever felt down and we've seen in scripture, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That even though you go through the waters, I'll be with you and the fire will not burn you. But such precious promises. And what should our response be? It should be, thank you, Lord, shouldn't it? We should be worshipping our great God when he confirms his promises to us. And so Abraham, how was his mindset? What was his attitude as he was in this foreign place? As he was setting up his tent, as he lived this nomadic life, we're told that he viewed it as a foreign country. He dwelt, even that word dwelt has the idea of a tempor- temporary residency in the original. He dwelt, he was a sojourner, he was an alien if you like. And we are sojourners and we are pilgrims on this earth. This world is not our home. We're tempted many times, aren't we, when we hear the news or when we see tragic events happen. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This world is not our home. Do we really want this world to be our home? Do we really want this to be our permanent residency? As we've been praying this evening about the situation in the Middle East. Is this heaven? Or the situation in Ukraine, two years on, and the bloodshed. Is this glory? Isn't there more to life than this? Is this really our heaven? Of course not. We're temporary. We're passing through. Just as Abraham had that attitude of a temporary residence, so should we when it comes to glory. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. I suppose it's this time of year when you'll be tempted to go onto the internet one evening and to be booking your foreign holiday for the summer. And maybe you want to go somewhere exotic, And maybe the adverts have come through the door, if not on the internet, and they've been looking at this place with wonderful beaches and a lovely palm tree. This could be your view outside of your hotel window. And so you're tempted and you've put money aside maybe and you've saved up and you want to go on your foreign holiday. And so the day arrives, maybe you you scratch off on each day to, to look at this wonderful thing about a holiday. And you're looking forward to it and you can't wait to go on the holiday. And the day arrives and you get to the airport and you get on the plane and you go. And when you touch down, you realise that things are a bit different at home. For a start, the signs are not in English. You look at your watch and you realise that your watch, because you haven't changed it, and the clock at the airport is a bit different to say the least. And then you realise that they drive on the wrong side of the road. Although I'm sure that they would say that we drive on the wrong side of the road. And you realise that their clothing is a bit different to Western clothing. 
And you realise that they eat a bit differently and they eat different foods. And you go to the marketplace and it's different. And throughout your stay and throughout your time on your foreign holiday, you realise you're not at home. Do you ever say this when you go away? It's always good to go away. It's always good to come home. This world is not our home, is it? We're in foreign country. The world do things differently to how we do them. Are we not to be aliens beamed in from planet Mars and be weirdos? We dress in the same way as any other modern Westerner. We may talk the same language. The essence of holiness is not that we have our sentences longer than Judge Jeffreys. Is it? Of course not. That's not holiness. But our essence is different. Our attitudes are different. Our mindsets are different. We look into another world. We're not looking to this world. The world's mindset is different. Their, their whole way of life is different from us. And we realize, just as when we go on a foreign holiday, that this world is not our home. We're just in a foreign, alien territory. They worship other gods than we do, because we all worship some gods. This world is not our permanent residency. We need to be heavenly minded. We need to set our mind on things above. That doesn't mean to say that we can't have riches, does it? Abraham was a very rich man. So it doesn't mean that just because somebody has great riches that automatically they're not heavenly minded. Abraham was very rich, very rich. But yet he was heavenly minded. And actually we're all very rich when you think about it to a lot of people in the world. A friend of mine went to Africa once and he gave a, a child a pencil case as a present and their eyes lit up as if he would given them a car. We're very rich, aren't we? doesn't mean to say that we're not heavenly minded. Abraham was rich, and yet he was heavenly minded. So we can be rich and heavenly minded. The difference is this. Abraham kept his riches with an open palm and not with a clenched fist. And we're to hold on very lightly to the things that God has given us. Yes, he's given us all things richly to enjoy. We shouldn't necessarily be monks, and give away all our possessions. But yet we're to hold them very lightly. They could go at a drop of a hat. Do you know J.C. Ryle? He was involved in banking. He said, I woke up. And I was very rich. And I went to bed with nothing. We lost a lot in a day. We can lose it, can't we? Hold on to it very, very, very loosely. Very loosely. This is not the be-all and end-all. Of life, is it? We're looking forward to another world that's permanent, where moth and rust does, does not destroy, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. That's our treasure, is it? Because where our treasure is, there where our hearts be also. Jesus is absolutely right, isn't he? What we treasure will be what we put our hearts into. Is our heart in glory? We lay up treasures in heaven. We lay up those riches, those spiritual riches, which is what Abraham did. He looked for glory. He viewed this world as just a foreign country, just passing through. And that's how we should be. So firstly, we've seen, think about a foreign country. Secondly, we think about a beneficiary. What's a beneficiary? It's someone who inherits their parents say. 
And what do they do? They write a will. wonder if you've written your will. And they may say, for your children, give all the estate to my children or relatives or whatever it may be. And then when they finally do die, then it goes to those people and they inherit. They're beneficiaries. And the Lord said that Abraham and his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob are beneficiaries. They're assignees. They're inheritors of this great promise. What does he say? Let's look at verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise. Isn't that interesting? He says the land of promise. He doesn't say the land of Canaan. He says the land of promise to show that God is faithful. And just as he had promised that land, so he had given that land. It doesn't say Canaan. He said dwelt in the land of promise. The faithfulness of God is there, isn't it? The wonder of God in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Again, notice the temperancy, the the passing value of his residence. Abraham, when he got to Canaan, he didn't get out his shovel, and he didn't dig a foundation And he didn't start building a permanent house with bricks and mortar. He got his tent and he lived in tents. This cloth hut that would have been made from green boughs or from animal skin. And what he did was really denoting just how temporary his existence was on this earth. He didn't settle down. He didn't make a big house for his family. He didn't say, though, this is the be-all and end-all. No, he dwelt in tents. Do you like going holidaying, camping? Not especially. Do you like your creature comforts too much? I think most of us do when we're honest, especially when there may be holes in the tents and the English weather or the Welsh weather or whatever country it is, being what it is, Yeah, you can find that all of a sudden your sleeping bag and airbed are quite soggy. But it's temporary, isn't it? So all the while you're in the camping holiday, a few weeks' time, week, two weeks, however it is, you're going to pack up your tent and you're going to go home again, aren't you? It's temporary. You're living in tents. It's not permanent. What would you rather live in, a tent or a brick house? Abraham lived in tents it was showing the passing, transitory state that he was in. And we are in a passing, transitory state on this earth. We're, as it were, dwelling in tents. And compared to those rooms and mansions that Jesus is, our homes are like tents, aren't they? They're just small compared to that place that Jesus has prepared for us. For those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just dwell in tents. And the Lord had promised Abraham not only a land but a son. And that's an incredible story as well. Because Abraham, a man of a hundred, and Sarah in her nineties, they produce a child. When they're beyond the age of childbearing. Don't you love the Lord? That he's not conventional. How many mothers do you see in the delivery suite near here? 90-year-old giving birth to a child. But that's the Lord, isn't it? 
That's why the way the Lord operates. That's the way the Lord works. And, and the son came along. Isaac laughed up because of what the Lord had done. The promised land and the promised child because the Lord had promised that through Abraham's line there would be the seed, the descendants that would fulfill his word and his promises. There was the promised son, Isaac. And Isaac had a son called Jacob. And he was a deceiver, which is what his name meant. And they lived together this nomadic lifestyle. There were three generations of those who looked to heaven. Do you ever look at people and you know their dad and you say, like father, like son? They're a chip off the old block. They have the same mannerisms. They have the same way of doing things. And you may even know three generations and you may know the grandson and you may know the granddad and you may say, like granddad, like grandson. And it was three generations of heavenly mindedness. Abraham is heavenly minded by faith. Isaac is heavenly minded by faith. Jacob is heavenly minded by faith. They're all together. It's what we call patriarchs, which means father of nations. These three generations of people that were looking to glory. That were looking to heaven. And they were given the same promise we're told so it wasn't just a different promise at all to abraham and then a different promise to isaac and a different promise to jacob no it was the same promise to abraham and the same promise to isaac and the same promise to jacob that's what we're told aren't we in verse 9 in dwelling in tents with isaac and jacob the heirs with him of the same promise the lord's faithful and those same promise comes down the line and what's more they're heirs, they're what we call joint heirs. The word there in the original means joint heirs. It's the same word as in Romans when it says that we're heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ. It's the same word that's used here. In fact, the NAS translates it as joint heirs. Accurately. They were joint heirs with him of the same promise, the same land. And that land was a picture of glory itself. They were heirs. Isaac would inherit from Abraham the promises of God. And Jacob would inherit from Isaac that same promise. They're heirs. It's wonderful, isn't it, to be a beneficiary, to be inheriting. We have an inheritance that is incorruptible and that is undefiled and that does not fade away, First Peter 1.4. That if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you fled from your sins and are trusting to Christ by that shed blood on Calvary's cross, then you have an inheritance that's waiting for you. This glorious inheritance. This wonderful inheritance, far better than any inheritance that you can get. There was a person once, and he was very rich, and he was showing a person round his house and his gardens. He looked around in the house, said, that's the billiard room. That's the drawing room. Go to the garden. That's the rose garden. And he kept saying this. You see that rose garden? That's mine. And you see that billiard room? That's mine. And you see that drawing room? That's mine. And you see that study? That's mine. And you see that dining room? That's mine. And this person was listening. And then when he finished his friend had finished he said this 
He pointed up to the skies and he said, that is mine. That is mine. And that's ours as, as believers in Christ. The best is yet to be. The best is yet to come. It's heaven itself, isn't it? It's glory when we finally leave this short life that we live. Just a short time, really. In the light of eternity, certainly. And then there's glory, the heirs of this promise. You remember the Apostle Paul when he was writing to the church of Colossae. And in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. The hope of heaven. And the word hope is not hope so hope. It's an expectation of glory. And then he tells them what he's praying for in verse 12. And he says, giving thanks, he's praising the Father who has qualified us. Now, normally, in a qualification, we're the ones that have to do the work. So you go off to university or you do an apprenticeship and you're the one that gives the qualification. But in this qualification, it's different because the Lord Jesus has done all the work and we trust in Christ. And when we trust in him, he makes us qualified. The Father qualifies us to be what? Partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. You see, this Old Testament promised land was a picture. It was an illustration. And it was a picture of the reality of glory. I remember when I was a courting man many years ago. And I had a picture of, who's now my wife, on the side of my bed. Now, I have a picture of my wife on the side of my bed on her wedding day. But I don't look at it very often. You know why? Because I have the reality right next to me. And this picture was just a picture of the promised land of the reality of a deeper inheritance of glory. That's what it is. That promised land that was given where the children of Israel would go. That the Lord had promised. And the Lord has promised a land for all believers to go to. He's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. That's where we're marching to. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. So what have we seen? Think about a foreign country. This world is a foreign country. Secondly, think about a beneficiary. We're beneficiaries of glory. As believers, if you're a believer. And if you're not, you need to be. And you need to be now by trusting in Christ. Thirdly, think about the city. Because we have here in verse 10, it's still talking of Abraham. For, so there's a link, isn't there? For he waited or awaited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham awaited a better place than any earthly dwelling. He waited for a better land than even the promised land. He looked to glory itself. He had zero focus, as it were, zero focus. Didn't on anything else but glory. Laser beam focus on Christ in heaven. He was spiritually and heavenly minded, wasn't he? That's what he looked for. He waited. Now, when was Abraham called? He was called at 75 
Are you an old person? The Lord's still got work for you, you know. 75, there he was. Get out of your country, Abraham. Well, he was Abram then. Still the same person. How old was he when he died? 175. So we can do the maths, can't we? Even I can do that mathematical equation. 75 to 175, 100 years of nomadic life. 100 years where he dwelt in that tent looking for glory. A long time with many ups that we read of and many downs in Abraham's life that we read of. Many joys and many sorrows. But he kept on looking for glory. He kept on anticipating for heaven. And that's what we're to do. There may be many ups, there may be many downs, there may be many joys, and there may be many sorrows. And sometimes we're on the mountaintop, and sometimes we're in the valleys, aren't we? Through all the changing scenes of life. And sometimes we're A1 health, and sometimes we have had a lot better days in our health. But all the while we're to be awaiting for the city. We're to be looking for that permanency when you go to cities you notice that ever seen these buildings and they have this blue plaque on the wall have you ever seen that and then you go to it and it it tells you about how old the building is and some of these cities like york or somewhere these historic cities like chester or near where i grew up in canterbury some of these buildings they're just they're archaic aren't they you know and they speak of permanency And the city of glory that Abraham looked to, that we must look to, there's a permanency, isn't there, about it? He looked for the foundation, the city which has foundations. Foundations speak of permanency. So when the storms come, it's not going to go away, is it? Buildings that last the years, that last the weather and the elements. And that's heaven. There's no expiry date. There's no need of repair in glory, is there? doesn't get dilapidated over the years there's no home improvements that need to be made it's not seen better days it's always new always permanent it says for he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God this city And it's typified in the Old Testament, in Jerusalem. You remember how the Jews, they looked forward to Jerusalem. There were the Psalms called the Songs of Ascents, where three times a year they would go up to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was situated on Mount Zion. And the Lord put his favour on Jerusalem. And it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem and so on. And the wonder of Zion and the wonder of Jerusalem. And they loved to be at Jerusalem. This epicenter of Jewish worship, where their temple, one of the ancient wonders of the world, one of the wonders of the ancient world was. This glorious place, this wonderful city set on a hill. How amazing Jerusalem must have been. But the New Testament spiritualizes Jerusalem. And it talks about the new Jerusalem. And we're told in the chapter after the one we're studying this evening about saints, chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. We've come to the new Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem is a picture, 
Just again, remember that picture of your, of, of your wife. It's just a picture, but it's not reality. And then Jerusalem was a picture of this heavenly Jerusalem. That's the reality. That's even more glorious than any ancient wonder. The new Jerusalem that we're looking forward to. The glorious place above. The heavenly abode. Or what about Revelation 21? Right near the end of the Bible, the penultimate chapter of the word of God. And as John, it has the curtain pulled back somewhat and get glimpses into glory. How more impoverished we would be if Revelation was not in our Bibles. And as the curtain is pulled back and as we get told, now I saw, that's John on the Isle of Patmos, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea than I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes isn't that glorious how many tears have we shed in this life how many tears over our sins have we shed how many tears over sorrows have we shed the tears are wiped away from our eyes there will be no more death isn't that a comfort have you never mourned over the loss of loved ones done 25 funerals in my 12 and a half years of ministry death is a reality isn't it around us but there'll be no more death in glory no more death at all nor sorrow nor crying there'll be no more pain isn't that amazing when you have those back injuries and those pain the outward man is perishing day by day but the inward man's being renewed There'll be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. They've done away with forever. When you think about loved ones who've gone to glory, we don't want them back again, do we? They're there, they're with Christ forever, in glory. In fact, in one sense, if it can be the way, they're env- we, shouldn't be, we should be envious of them, and not the other way around. They've gone to glory, to a better place. To heaven itself. To this city who God has prepared. You remember in chapter 13 of Hebrews. What does it tell us? It says, for here we have no continuing city. But we seek the one to come. We seek the one to come. There is a ministry that's been very, very powerfully used of God. And while he's dead, he still speaks. And it's the ministry of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And when he left Abba Avon to go to Westminster Chapel, where he would spend the bulk of his ministry, it was in the turbulent years of the Second World War. He never had an induction service because it had to be cancelled because of the Second World War. And if not the first message, it was certainly very early on in his ministry that as London was being bombed and as things that seemed so permanent, the city was being desecrated by the Luftwaffe, he preached on this verse. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. What a word in season that was. We seek the one to come. We seek heaven to come. People can threaten with all sorts of nuclear weapons if they want. 
but there's one place where we'll never be nuked out. And that's the place believers are going to. And that's the reality. There's not pie in the sky. But it's true comfort and true consolation for those who trust Christ. Are we looking for heaven? Are we looking for glory? Are we so filled up with the here and the now that we've taken our eyes somewhat off of that place that we're going to? That new Jerusalem. It was Robert Murray McChain that used to open his curtains every day. And he used to say this, maybe today, Lord, maybe today. Are we like that? Are we looking for heaven itself? To be with Christ for all eternity. You remember Paul in Philippians, I'm hard pressed between the two. Yeah, I want to stay because I can be a blessing, but I want to go and to be with Christ, which is far better temporary are we looking for glory maybe you're not a christian here tonight you've never trusted in the lord jesus let me urge you to trust christ because the alternative to heaven is almost too hideous to contemplate but it's true because god has spoken it in his word doesn't he make sure you're going to glory i've seen you in Catsill. will i see you in heaven and if you are saved praise the lord that's where you're going The devil will try to knock us off our view of that celestial city. But keep on looking. That's where our citizenship is. That's where our true destiny is. In glory itself. And it won't be very long. When my children get fed up of the journey, they've probably been asking ever since we leave home, are we there yet? But when they ask for the umpteenth time and we say to them, look, it's not very far now, we're nearly there. It's not very far. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. Surely. Before then, finally, we'll be forever with Christ for all eternity. Abraham looked to heaven. Or let us do the same. Let's sing our final hymn. It's actually by Robert Murray McChain. Hymn number 862. When this passing world is done. When has sunk your radiant sun. When I stand with Christ on high. Looking all life's history. Then Lord shall I fully know. Not till then. How much I owe. Number 862.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.